look, for someone, you know, really no discernible skills to be a marketer. Uh, <laughs> and so as a skillless human being, this, this is as good a gig as you can find, I suppose. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Human Element. I am so excited to be joined today by Allison Weisbrot, who is a writer at Ad Exchange. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. So you ready? I guess so. <laughs> is this how I make people feel when I start interviewing them? Yes, I think so. <laughs> okay, Everybody good. gets very... I'm, I'm, I'm so intimidating. It's my height, actually. Um, <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your role and kind of what you're focused on a lot at the moment. So my role is I'm a reporter, so I basically just ask people a lot of questions and write articles about the industry. I focus on agencies, media buying, digital, CRM agencies. So a lot of the focus is about how the agency business is evolving, what needs to change, how clients are changing the way they want to work with their agencies, and just like how media is disrupted by the internet in general and sort of the many after effects of that. That whole big ball of yarn. Yeah, yeah. it's a lot. We're going to get into the entire ball okay. of yarn, all right? Good. So I'm excited <laughs> about that. Before I do that, though, do you, I know your industries are not political, or at least not on their face. They have political relationships, and we'll get into some of that, too. As someone who is a member of the press, what do you feel personally about this moment in time in the country? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I don't focus on politics, so... That's something I'm actually happy about because I think it would just make me too personally like upset and (laughs) you know stressed out about following that as a reporter. But you know, I'm really happy that I'm a journalist right now because I think that it's sort of an industry that is under a lot of pressure to sort of prove itself. Like there's fake news and then there's president calling real news fake news. So it's it's kind of cool to be sort of like preserving real reporting and like showing people why this field is important. Yeah. Do you feel, and here's my segue, do you feel that the disruption that exists in your own industry is useful backdrop for reporting on the disruption that's happening in the agency and marketing business? Definitely. I think that it's interesting because we write about the publishing business, right? Yeah. So, like, I probably know more than most reporters about how <laughs> publishers are getting paid. Yep. And granted, like, I work for a trade publication, so we have a conference business. It's a little bit different. But it is interesting to sort of see what's happening to, like, local news and publications out there and then know the whole complex, messy ball of yarn, as you call it, mm. that's, that's sort of impacting that as well. So let's talk about the biggest shifts that you are talking about right now, right? Mm So off the top of your head, top three or four kind of big buckets, if you were to organize them, what are those tectonic plates? What are the things that are changing the most? So I would say first and foremost is just the way that advertising works in general. So obviously, I mean, programmatic is not new, but the way that it's disrupted the relationship between the buyer and the seller so that you now have to go through all these intermediaries that are taking bites out along the way in terms of fees and, you know, more and more money being pushed behind walled gardens. I think that's sort of like the big tectonic shift in media right now. Um, But then I also think on the other end, there's regulation that's going to start happening. And then there's a pushback on the consumer side as they learn more about how the internet is free, (laughs) able to be free. So yeah. 
privacy is a big one. I would say just like the changing consumer media habits and the way that we sort of access the things that give us information. So whether that's connected TV, whether that's the rise of podcasts and like just different ways that brands can get in front of consumers, that's an interesting shift as well. So that's a great list, and it matches some of my questions, so thank you. Yes. The I'm sure a, there's more that I'm forgetting. The, but. the check is in the mail on matching my questions. Um, I guess, <laughs> you know, we, we've spent a lot of time on this pod and, and in some of our other dialogue with clients talking about privacy and transparency. Yeah. What's your perspective on this moment in time, and where are we headed? So I think that this moment in time is interesting because I think that we as an industry— have for the most part known about all this stuff for a very long time. Like we know Facebook's business model. We know, you know, the way data is used in the ecosystem. But I think now consumers are waking up to it and regulators are waking up to it. And that's going to cause a lot of changes. And I think that GDPR in Europe is sort of a model for how the rest of the world is going to go. It's just a matter of, you know, how we sort of work it out in the U.S., whether it's federal or state-led. Um, How will we work it out in the U.S.? I don't know. I'm not in the government. I'm not qualified <laughs> to answer that. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, you know, the, I guess the closest thing is probably the California legislation. Yeah. I'm not aware of any significant effort on the federal side that's at any level of progress. Yeah. Well, the issue with that is just the lack of sort of understanding of even how to attack this problem by the federal government is sort of slowing down a solution to that. I do enjoy the hearings, though. Yes. <laughs> where, and I won't name names, and I'm not being political, but where, you know, they sort of strangely look at their phone like, these things come to my phone, and could you tell me why? And then, <laughs> right. you know, the, the CEO, and I'll leave all the names out, but the CEO of a company that doesn't make that particular kind of phone is like, we don't make that phone. Right. There's just like a basic sort of lack of understanding. I guess it's like when you, you know, you ask your grandma, like, how do you, <laughs> you know, can you text me that picture? She's going to be like, what are you talking about? So it's there's just that sort of like, I want to say generational gap, I guess, in between knowing how, like, the internet funds itself and how to regulate that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, again, it's a, it's, a, it's a massive issue because I think the concept that some level of regulation or some level of guardrails are needed is probably the right thing. Yeah. But we seem to be, in this country at least, pretty ill-suited with significant swaths of our leadership to do that. Yeah, but I mean, look at what happened in the EU yesterday where they found that the government had, like, hundreds of ad trackers on all of their websites. Like, you know, clearly maybe they, they were able to pass legislation, but I think that the actual nuances of enforcing it are very, very complex. Yeah, so Elizabeth Warren made a little bit of news a couple of weeks ago. She did. When she sort of out and proclaimed... Let's break these things up. Mm-hmm. What do you make of that? Do you hear anybody in the industry actually endorsing that as an idea? Do you think it has any kind of legs? Do you think it's merely, let me try to get at least 15 minutes of fame on a Monday morning? Like, what is it? Well, there is, you know, the caveat disclaimer that she's running for president and has to say some really, like, provocative things right now. Well, she did again this week when yeah. she decided to eradicate the Electoral College. <laughs> Right, so... Are we really going to do 70 more weeks of this, where each each Monday she's like, okay, my idea today is... You know what? Uh, we're abolishing parking. I can handle that more than some of the other stuff we have to hear about every day, so I'm okay with that. <laughs> um, but, so I think that, you know, it's good idea in theory. Like, yes, there are these huge monopolies that we've sort of let run unchecked for a very long time, and now we need to do something about it. But I think that 
like once again, the nuances of breaking up something like Google's ad stack. Everything's connected into each other. Certain things don't work unless they're plugged into other things. You know, like marketers and advertisers will lose, I think, a lot of data and like valuable information if those things start coming apart. So I think it's a lot harder in practice than it is in theory. It is a lot harder in practice for sure. Yeah. Your gut instinct? My gut instinct is that there will be regulation, but it probably won't be a breakup of these companies. Uh, For what it's worth, I agree with that. So let's sort of skip along. Uh, Of all the digital platform companies, it seems to me that you could make a strong argument that Facebook has had the most challenging 12 months. Yeah, I would Uh, agree with that. Okay, so one is, do you agree? Yes. (laughs) Two, what, what do they need to do? That's a good question. I think Facebook right now is dealing with sort of a systemic issue in terms of their culture and the way they think about sort of using data and selling and selling ads. It's just the way that they've always been running needs to change. And, and I don't know if that's going to be through leadership change. I don't see Mark Zuckerberg stepping aside anytime soon, but it almost seems like there needs to be like an adult at the table to just be like, this isn't, is how we're going to whip this company back into shape. Isn't Cheryl supposed to be the adult? She is, but I don't know. You don't know. I mean, maybe they needed two adults. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think that they really need to make, and it's not to say that they're not working on this. I know it's like a huge, huge complex issue, and it's just one yeah. of, you know, they have multiple complex issues going on. But I think that their business model is inherently at odds with consumer privacy, and I think that that's going to be an issue for them. But I think they have a very, very bright spot with Instagram and the potential for that platform so long as they treat their customers' data appropriately, which, you know, they still need to do a better job of, in my opinion. (laughs) Prediction, five years from now, total user base of Facebook will be? Oh, my gosh. Currently, it's what? Two and change billion? Well, that depends. Higher or lower? Are you talking about just the core platform? I'm just talking about Facebook. I'm not talking, like, Facebook, the platform. You know... I honestly think it might stay the same or grow because I think that as they expand it in different parts of the world, mm. I don't think you see the same trends there as you do as in the U.S. Like in some parts of the world, Facebook is just the internet. So I think that's going to be really helpful for them. And Interesting. The, yeah. yeah. That, that's, that's, I, I, I think you might be right. I mean, I think it may be more surprising than we think, right? I think it's easy to proclaim, oh, It'll be half that five years from now, but I don't think it's that. I don't think it'll be half that. I think, if anything, it will be incremental. Like, I don't think it'll be a big difference because I think if that were going to happen, it would have happened already. Given just, like, the hammering they're getting in the press, there's, like, a New York Times story every day about something they did wrong. Like, it seems like if people were going to actually delete Facebook in mass, it would have it would already be happening. Yeah, I mean, look, it is a testament to the utility that they offer and the yeah. space they occupy. Yeah, and and honestly, people don't even realize like how much Facebook and their network permeates their lives. Mm. Like when you log in with Facebook, yep. on any platform, that's Facebook has your data. They have a pixel on every page yep. of the web. Like, you know, it's going to be hard for people to totally hashtag delete Facebook from their <laughs> lives. <laughs> it's it's inescapable. Yeah, but I think a lot of people have a, have 
a real problem with that, especially now when you see all these problems coming out around privacy, all the bad press about Facebook. I think that makes some agency executives wonder, like, you know, what's going to happen? I wrote this story a couple of months ago. What happens if Facebook start being an advertiser on Facebook starts to damage your brand? Yep. I think people are really thinking about that now. And it's almost like you really have to work out where you're going to find that scale and engagement. I, I think we're darn close to that being a real question. Yeah. Which is an interesting one. Yeah. Um, let's change gears. Thank you for that, by the way. That was fun. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the other side of the coin, mm-hmm. uh, the agency holding companies. Yes. <laughs> oh. My favorite topic. <laughs> really? All right. Well, lay it on me. What is the state of the union right now of the agency holding companies? You want me to be candid? Um, it's not great, honestly. And I think that a lot of the holding companies are just stuck in this legacy way of operating, and it's very, very hard for them to transform. Um, And they're trying, and, you know, they're doing their best, but I think there's still a lot of legacy sort of, like, mindsets and um, management styles, and and there's a lot of bloat around sort of middle management, and, Mm -hmm. you know, there's not enough attention being paid to what actually needs to be done for the client. Like, it's a lot of sort of, like, politics and turf wars and things like that. So it's it's tough. That's not to say that there isn't great talent in all of these places doing great work, but they're sort of bogged down by their operating models right now. So let's break that down into sort of principal big problems. What are the top one or two things? I think um, integration is one of the top problems. I.e. putting solutions together that can be delivered to a CMO so that it's digestible to the CMO as opposed to here's 350 different brands have at it. Exactly. So this notion of like, you know, we're going to cherry pick the best talent across all of our agencies and get them to work together for you. Great idea in theory. In practice, they're all financially incented to make money for their own agency. They're like fighting over the same work. I also think that this whole idea of like, you're now part of team whatever, team, I don't know, I don't want to name a brand and like Detroit. get in trouble. <laughs> yeah, you're part of team Detroit because go blue. Um, <laughs> I went to Michigan, shameless plug. <laughs> so I think like, yeah, that that sort of makes you feel like you're more part of a team around a certain client. But then, I mean, just personally, how would you feel if all of a sudden your boss was like, you don't work at Kara anymore, you're part of team Detroit now? Yeah. It's like a talent issue as well because maybe you don't want to work there. You like the culture where you work. You're happy where you are. So, yeah, I think – but clients really need that integration between creative and media and data, so it's tough. Um, Another systemic problem I would say is just like redundancy. Um, A lot of agencies that sort of do the same thing and don't have a lot of strategic differentiators between them. So – you know, without naming names, like I'm sure you can think of holding companies that have like four gigantic media agencies. That creates a lot of redundancy. Uh, All of us are undergoing a significant amount of disruption. The categories of shops that are under the most pressure at this moment, this will not last, Mm -hmm. but at this moment is certainly the global creative networks. Yeah. And there are lots of them. And it'll be interesting, you know, they're not all going to, going to make it. Yeah, I also think it's interesting, like, during this whole, you know, we're talking about the big sort of legacy 
companies out there, but there's a lot of new models emerging. So, yes. I, I, I mean, you just saw Mark Penn um, is taking over MDC partners. Like, there's a lot of different sort of models. And it's an interesting mix. Yeah, it is. So let's talk consultancies a second. Yes. Um, where are they in this mix, and who's sort of the most interesting in their model, in your opinion? So I would say the consultancies have found an opening in this disruption. They have a lot of knowledge in terms of helping clients think of new ways to work around these new sort of models that they have to embrace. And they have that change management expertise. They have systems integration expertise, which is, you know, like MarTech and connecting that all to paid media and all those different sort of hops along the supply chain is really important now. Um, They have experience working with data. So in a lot of ways, they're sort of plugging that. I don't want to say agents, like, I don't want to say they're plugging a gap in strategy because I think agencies are very strategic too, but they're plugging. In a narrower way. Exactly. They're tying it back to the business strategy, which is sort of what's happening to marketing as a discipline in general. Um, I think that the loudest in the space is Accenture Mm. in terms of, like, I think they acquired an agency every single month last year. <laughs> Certainly been the most acquisitive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, honestly, as a reporter, it's a little hard to get real insight into how they work. or They're very polished when talking to the press. So, um, <laughs> What does that mean? In terms of, like, it's hard t- to get concrete details about, like, what they're actually working on with their clients. Wow. And how why what they're doing is different than an agency. It's the LeBron Tiger effect. They've been talking to the press all their lives, so they don't actually answer questions. Exactly. Yeah, got it. What's the one thing that people in our industry uh, are not talking about that they should be? The consumer. <laughs> <laughs> Never a more damning answer have we had on this pod. I mean, I'm sorry, but... No, amen to that. When's the last time you heard someone at an agency call a consumer a person? Well, we're trying, but yes, I, I, <laughs> uh, I think it's an excellent point. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of times, especially in the area that I focus on, people get really lost in the weeds and, you know, how this data plugs into this yeah. platform and this and this audience is going to respond well to this and we have to incrementally alter this bid. At the end of the day, there's a person reading, scrolling Instagram, looking at an ad. Do they like it or do they not? Like, that's what this industry is all about, and I think that— that gets lost a lot of the time. And Allison, that is the single best argument for our little podcast called The Human Element. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, (laughs) So what's the one thing that sort of brands, in your opinion, should be adding into their mix? Is there something Mm -hmm. out there that doesn't have enough kind of adoption or that is on the the cusp of adoption or that you think is kind of important for them to take a look at? Hmm, That's a good question. I think that brands will be smart to sort of come up with a strategy for voice because I think that that's going to sort of slowly start to permeate everything. And I know that there's not a big, there's not a strong consumer use case right now for like, you know, voice commerce or anything like that. Most people are still sort of like, Alexa, set my alarm (laughs) kind of thing. (laughs) But um, dim my lights. I think one day that's going to be, Really important just to think about how do you show up in an environment where you literally can't show up, like, visually. Yeah, there's no visual to it at all. So I think that's important. I think TV buying is about to change 
dramatically. Yep. So I think that brands should start thinking about advanced TV and how they reach consumers on OTT platforms. So uh, a, a little mini prediction here mm-hmm. from you on OTT. Netflix stays ad-free, yes or no? No. Yeah, there's no chance. <laughs> We, I've been, yeah, I've been waiting for Netflix to launch ads for a while now, so. You know, it's funny, <laughs> I, I read a piece this morning, I will protect the innocent on where I read it, but that said, Apple to follow Netflix's ad-free lead. And I just in my head thought, nope. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, there's obviously going to be like subscription bundle fatigue or whatever they're calling it these yeah. days, so. And especially in other parts of the world where people don't have the money to Subscribe to like all these different things. It's just not viable. Yeah. Yeah. Now, hopefully, we can do something more intelligent around the units, and hopefully, the targeting can make them more relevant. And hopefully, I mean, oh, hopefully, I hopefully, definitely, hopefully. I definitely think that they're going to come in with something that we've never seen before in terms of advertising. Yeah. And you know, they already do do a ton of product placement, so it's not like they're not making money off brands. You know, it's funny, and I, again, I don't want to take us down a tangent because that's never happened on this pod, right, Jason? But <laughs> Isn't that what podcasts are? Just like really long like tangents? One massive tangent. It's <laughs> like this sort of experiment in following the file boy that lives in my head. <laughs> so, um, you know, if, if you look at product placement, right, the, the, the knock against advertising is somehow, and I, I get this, it is an intrusive Media, it is um, you know somehow inherently more inauthentic because it is commercially based. All these things that you know folks say about it, and I, I get the argument for that. But that somehow product placement is 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 somehow more authentic or real or not. you know I, like I, I look at the product placement stuff and I just it's so ridiculous. Honestly, as a consumer or a human being, <laughs> um, I don't even notice it. Mm. On shows, and I don't know if that's like a subconscious impact that it's having on me, or it's just not doesn't work that well. I don't think there's enough research. Behind so your it. argument here is that I'm just so old and cynical that it screams to me. <laughs> well, maybe it's like Wayne and Garth. I don't you know? know. Maybe I'm just not that observant when no, I'm watching I don't TV. Think that's it. I think I think <laughs> I've just been totally jaded. Um, all right, let's write the end of your headline for 2019 right now. Oh my gosh, um, you're getting the work done early. Your editor's uh, going to be thrilled. Yeah, I think the I think the end of the year headline for 2019 is the year that TV went addressable or ish addressable. <laughs> no, I think it's the year, the that, year that it started. Yeah, the, the the wave is coming. The wave is coming. The rock is. Hit I the think pond. the the what do they call it? The like it's about to tip towards tipping point. Yes, tipping okay. point. Sorry, that's all right. <laughs> I. I I think there's something in that, so I like that. Yeah. I also think it's going to be the year of the privacy pushback in the U.S., 2019 and 2020. I think it already is. I think I think there is a, and I think it is going to be interwoven into the political agenda on both sides. Oh, definitely. And that Especially as the election. Yeah. And I, I actually think it is one of the few places where there will be agreement between the left and the right. Yeah. You know what? I think there will be a uniting of the clans on one issue, and that is that these platforms have to change. On the right, the messaging will be this, you know, bias against conservatism. Conservatives, yeah. And on the left, it will be consumer protection, privacy, data protection, right up the big monopoly thing. We'll see if they can actually get together in a room and do anything about it, but... Uh, again, nothing's going to get done legislatively in, the, in this country <laughs> for the next 18 months, but oh, no. I think the, the rhetoric... Yeah. Will burn very hot, and I think uh, they will share an enemy there. I think it's going to be a big part of the 
political agenda. Yeah, I think you're right. It's going to be interesting. I would not want to be on the Facebook policy team uh, in the next 18 months. Things no. Things be bumpy. Not that it's been great the past 12 months, but... Yeah, I wouldn't want to be, be on their PR team either, honestly. <laughs> so, uh, you have made it successfully to the lightning round. Oh, gosh. Okay. Are you ready? I might... You know what? I was born Just ready. Just throw it at <laughs> <laughs> Just throw it at you. Just okay. go for it. <laughs> uh, favorite digital experience of any kind? Site, app, you name it. I really like the experience of, I keep bringing up OTT, but I love the experience of watching TV through like a connected TV set. Mm. Like I, I know there's like too much content on there kind of to sift through sometimes, but I think it's just a really seamless experience. Yep. Sort of like, search through what you want to watch and just put it on right there. And I also think any, living in New York, any app that makes my life a little bit easier, like ordering food from Seamless or calling an Uber or a Lyft, anything that just makes it easier for me to, any app that provides, like any digital experience that provides utility. Yeah, because living in the city is not easy. It's not, it's so hard to live in New York. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, first world problems, yeah, I guess. Yeah, no, not I guess. Um, <laughs> so I, I love that answer. You know, it's funny. Um, my kids, who always managed to find their way into the podcast, we almost made it to the end without them being in it. <laughs> um, they, you know, TV to them doesn't exist. Right. Like, there is no TV. So it's either Netflix or Hulu or YouTube. That, right. That's it. Right. So. You obviously grew up in a world where you did participate with television. You did actually select channels at some I point did. in your life. I did. You now find yourself at a point where you do that a whole lot less, mm-hmm. I'm guessing. Yes, I have cut the cord. You've cut the cord. So you don't even have a cable provider? No, at the moment I don't. Do you have a landline provider? I have internet. No, I don't no. have a landline provider. You're like, oh my God, why would I? Oh my God, that? I haven't had a landline no, since. Fair <laughs> no. I, just, I, I just want to make sure. All right, so you are, you're, you're done. It's all Wi Fi and cellular and Pretty this, much. This other crap. Yeah. Together. Interesting. Yeah. You're happier this way. Um, I, I don't know if it impacts my happiness, but <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just a more seamless experience. I like being, being able to watch what I want when I want and the on demand sort of, Nature. Yeah, like why do I have to wait till Tuesday at eight o'clock? Yeah, and right. I love binge watching too. That's fun. It's certainly great in bad weather. Yes. Yeah. Do you find that your binging declines when the weather's better? Yes. Yes. Hopefully. I mean, I try to get outside more when it's nice out. But <laughs> <laughs> best piece of content recently consumed can be anything: book, pod, show, hmm. Hamilton, whatever you want. <laughs> I'm gonna go with New York Times The Daily. It is awesome. It's awesome. It's yeah. just like my daily dose of like, all right, what's going on today? Now, are you an everyday person? I'm becoming one, yeah. Yeah. I don't make it every day, but I bet you it's, I bet you it's four out of five. Because, mm-hmm. again, I, I drive to the city, so a lot of times I'm sort of, if I'm not on the phone doing calls, I'm digging around for, right. you know, particularly if I'm outside my morning Joe window. Yeah. Favorite social platform? You have to pick one now that we've hammered them earlier. Yeah, well... This is going to be pretty hypocritical, but I'm going to say Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to pick that base. You were pretty benevolent to Instagram earlier, to be fair. Well, I mean, I don't feel the same about them as a reporter, as a consumer, but I can say as a consumer and a user of the app, it's pretty addicting. Like Sometimes I'll just open my phone and hit Instagram, and I meant to do something completely different. So <laughs> you're, you're, I'm going to 
make a generational guess here. Your generation definitely IG is like yeah thing, for sure. IG is yeah yeah. But I'm like, do you buy stuff there? I don't. Okay. I don't. But Why? a lot of my friends will are very. It's funny because I'll I'll be hanging out with friends and they'll be like, oh, I bought this so and so, you know, D to C product and I'm like, oh did you did you find out about that on Instagram? And they're like, yeah. Right. <laughs> so I can I can like see the marketing strategy working on my peers. Yeah, for sure. I mean yeah. I, I, I see but I'm like. like you said before, you said you were jaded. I'm a little jaded by it. So I don't know if I want to buy something off Instagram. Just because I know that it's like that's the occupational part of you. Yes. Yeah, fair enough. Uh best career advice you've either given or received. Hmm. Well, I'm only 26, so I'm not one to be giving career advice. <laughs> well, then let's go with the received. I think the best career advice I've received is maybe just that like you don't have to have everything completely figured out and you can take opportunities and learn and grow from them and it's sort of it's there's a lot of pressure when you come out of school, I think for a lot of people to just be like this is what I want to do is my career, I'm mm. going to be really successful, but if you take something that if you take a job that doesn't necessarily seem like it's the perfect, perfect, perfect thing, but it sort of gets you on a path that could end up in that perfect thing that you have in your head, I think that's basically what I'm trying to say is don't limit yourself. Mm. Take opportunities and they will turn into other opportunities too. I, not that you need my ridiculous, aged validation, but I think that's pretty wise. And certainly in my experience, you know, just go give it a whirl. I think I'm, I'm pretty wise for my years. <laughs> <laughs> it would appear that way. Uh, last one, thing people should know about you, but they don't. Huh. Well, people, the only thing people on this podcast probably know about me is that I write about ad tech, so. That's true. <laughs> so you got a wide open field. Um, but people back at the office, what, what is the one thing they should know about you that they don't? Hmm. I'm pretty good at speaking Spanish, actually. Really? Yeah. So I studied it all through college, studied okay. abroad in Madrid, and I would say I'm conversationally fluent, so That's it's kind of surprising because it's, it's not really part of my you know background at all. And so that's interesting. I'm also pretty into yoga. Really? Yeah, that's sort of my like stress release. Now, the yoga thing, mm-hmm. as I like to call it. The yoga thing. <laughs> how often, in a given week, how many times do you do some level of yoga? So I would say one to two. I'll go to one to two times a week, I'll go to a class. Yep. There's definitely ways I could like incorporate it more into my everyday, but. Yep. Yeah, I try to make it like a weekly thing. Got it. Yeah. And it's both sort of therapy and exercise. Yeah. It's like you're you're breathing, you're relaxing, you're getting back, you're closing your eyes and not looking at a screen, which is just like... That's amazing. Yeah, it's mind-blowing, actually. <laughs> and then you're also sort of like, it's a workout as well, and you're stretching, and it's a good, it's a good way to sort of escape the world for an hour. Which, in your particular line of work, is not a bad idea. Yeah. Sometimes you got to <laughs> unplug, right? That's true. Allison, I cannot thank you enough. Thanks so much for thank joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So that's another wrap for The Human Element. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget, we would love to have you either give us a review or subscribe. You can find us anywhere you find your pods. And we'll be back out to you very soon. 